sorry. It's okay. <laughs> My cat is in a box, but it's tilted sideways, so he's like keeps getting stuck trying to get up, but it's the funniest shit. <laughs> Butterloaders, uh, Ratners, we got a real spicy cast this week. We're talking about sip six. Well, shit. We're, <laughs> we're talking about episode six and seven of the Expanse. I'm here with my sister, Katie. Yep. <laughs> I like this running joke that we could just have, which is like, I'll just keep forgetting to study Belter. That's fine. And it's just always. I'll just call you a well walla under my breath uh, as we're as we're doing these. I know what that means. <laughs> you know that part. I know that part. Yeah, rude. <laughs> um. So this week we're doing two episodes. We had some scheduling stuff that came up, and so we're talking episodes six and seven. Uh, I think, as per usual, we'll talk spoilers because we just we can't help but talk about the books to perhaps an excessive amount. But we love them, and we love the show. So let's kind of start like chronologically, maybe through like episode six and seven, because uh, there's a lot that happened this week. General thoughts: I feel like these are some. It's nice to for the episodes to slow down and give us some time with people. Like uh, six was a lot of focus on Clarissa and Amos, and then seven was a lot of focus on Naomi and her experience um, on the on Marco's ship. So. It was nice to have like a little bit of anchors to those episodes as opposed to the sort of like everything's happening all at once. Try to keep up. Yeah, my general overall impressions for these last two episodes is like I just I'm just glad that they did get better because I at episode five I was like oh I'm starting to get bummed out by how this is going, but um, the last couple of episodes I'm like okay okay I'm back I'm I'm back in I'm I'm back in the game now. So well, according to. Uh, Ty Frank and Wes Chatham uh, episode, well, at least Ty um, episode seven and eight were sort of a, a paired project um, in the same director and the same writer. So, and he said, these are some of his favorite episodes of the season. So I'm hopeful that these are going to be that eight is going to be a banger. Um, so starting off with episode six, things I loved. I love the detail of Avasarala pulling on her necklace and like jewelry like it's fucking battle armor. I love Avasarala. <laughs> we yes. This is the Avasarala uh, fan club. So she's the one character I feel like you know, I've 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 we've quibbled a lot about Naomi and I think we're going to quibble a lot more for the next episode frankly. Cuz the next episode I'm kind of like mm. but I just love Avasarala and she's badass and um Shoreag Dashlu is just a powerhouse of a woman, and I would be. I, she, if she wants to be queen of something somewhere, that's fine. Just go for it. I feel like she's like, I'm just gonna be queen of Earth now. Like, just announce it. I'd be like, yeah, that you know, that checks out. <laughs> the interim <laughs> guy is like, okay, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, then they go. We we hop into. Uh, so it's just like the first few scenes are kind of like getting us back into what's going on. Uh, Clarissa and Amos have this like nice little interaction when they're they arrive at the UN camp. What I loved about that was how 
they kind of like joke back and forth, but it doesn't feel like that sort of annoying Whedon-esque dialogue. It was just like natural character voices, and you see why they bounce off each other, because Amos isn't a very imaginative person, and Clarissa is like evaluating all these things and like is like, you're a dumbass. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm a dumbass. I don't that's sure. Things are going to happen. I'll handle them when I get to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did appreciate that, uh, how natural it felt. I, I didn't, I honestly didn't have a lot of criticisms for this episode. Um, even for like, even from a insufferable book nerd standpoint, I thought that, you know, even if they did take liberties, which I'm pretty sure they did, I can't remember some of these details. Um, I just, I think that it worked so well and felt so true to their character and none of it, none of it seemed like it was definitely like a, a better written episode than the previous one. Not to like just keep dunking on episode five, but you know, it's like what I have for a reference point. And I just, I don't know their whole vibe. When they cast this actress, I wasn't sure if I was like, I don't know if I can really see her as peaches, but now I do see her as peaches, not Clarissa or Melba as as peaches now. So. Uh, how do you feel about Bull versus Monica fighting on the Rosinante? I think the two worst characters in the show right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're just fighting. Race, I'm like, it's a race to the bottom. <laughs> if I feel like you give a shit about less, I'm like, oh, can, can you just, like, I know it's not canon, like, from space to both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you're both out of here. Just go. Hold, like, Holden's I, like, oh, I'm getting an emergency reading the airlock downstairs. Bull, can you check that out? And Bull's like, what the fuck? Bull, just check it out. And Monica, can you help him? I don't know anything about mechanical things. Just help him out. (laughs) Hold on, what's going on? Oh, I can't help it. The door's closing. The door's closing. It's shut. There's an alarm going off. Um, Okay, I will say, okay, so my criticisms for this episode, I do have some. First off, I think, I don't understand this part. So the Alex and Bobby scene felt to me very clearly like there was at least five minutes that were on the cutting room floor, and it felt very strange um, from from the end of last episode to this one. It just, there's five minutes that felt like it was missing in terms of like setting up what was going on, why those people were chasing them, why they were trying to dock with them in the first place as opposed to kill them. Like, it just doesn't. And I don't understand why Amazon is doing this because it feels like a production issue. You're a streaming service. You don't care. Like if you look at other shows like The Mandalorian, for example, The Mandalorian is all over the place with its running times. Some episodes are like 30 minutes. Some of them are like 42. So like and with Netflix like has done things of like, well, one episode of a TV show is like an hour, like an actual legit fucking hour. So Mm -hmm. like why tighten yourself to this, particularly when there's so much going on? That like the I mean like the last episode right toward the end they dump core right and they I'm not sure if they've ever they like get winged the they they get winged they're spinning off into nowhere and yeah the next thing we know they get about to get boarded right so we don't have the whole like what I mean they were they dumped core <laughs> like we we've established that like if you get to a fast enough speed you'll just drift throughout this universe indefinitely um you know like the person who invented the epstein drive yeah um, who's just gonna be forever rocketing through the space uh through the uh, space but um yeah so yeah you're right like it does kind of feel like they just kind of skipped over that part where 
the other ship would have to, I guess, come after Catch up. Yeah, and, like, uh, why they would go dark, like, why they wouldn't respond. You know, like, it, it, it does make sense, and it was definitely, like, an interesting scene, but, yeah, like you said, like, the stakes just weren't built up enough. You're just, like, they're just, like, yeah, whatever, whatever. It, also, it, tempo-wise, it feels like it comes in a weird spot in the episode. Like, there's this, like, exciting climax. Uh, Cass Anvar and uh, Bobby are, like, or uh, Frankie Anne's like, yeah, we got them. Yeah, motherfuckers. And then the rest of the episode happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're like, this feels like an end of an episode type scene. Um, but it's I mean, just not. It, it's like you pointed out, which is to say, like, they, they definitely made this season with people, like, binging it in mind. Um, which, if they had dropped the whole season sure, now. Yeah, yeah. That works, but with this, I'm just like, wait, I have to go back and like rewatch stuff or like get caught up. And yeah, it feels a little disjointed. Um, this part of the episode definitely feels like how I tell a story, which is to say, I start and I can like immediately see the disinterest on someone's face. So I just skip all of the, the bullshit and then just get to the explosive parts of the story. Um, so, which is not like a good thing. I'm a very terrible storyteller, which is why I'm an excellent shit poster. Um, yeah, this this section, like, and it's unfortunate because that, that part about the, uh, you know, getting back, I mean, I'll look over the fact that, like, it seems like most Martian suits have, like, little, like, jets on the back for that, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's still interesting, and, like, you know, I, I felt myself, like, being into that scene, I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's gonna happen, because shit, I don't remember this in the book, so. <laughs> well, and I, I, I'm never going to, like, turn down an excuse to see Frankie Adams kicking ass. Like, Frankie Adams, like, popping out of the Razorback. Like, she's fucking Jack. No, is it Jack from uh, The Shining? Like, she's like, oh, here's, here's, here's Bobby. And she just, like, <laughs> fucking, like, blasts these fucking belters. Like, that's awesome. I'm not, I'll never try the way from that. It just felt like a weird rhythm and was, like, uh, I was like, did I, did I miss something? Like you're like rewinding. You're like, did I miss? No, I didn't miss anything. What the fuck happened? So, mm-hmm. fortunately, the rest of the episode we spend with Clarissa and Amos, and then um, with Naomi on Marco's ship, the Pella, which is what I forgot earlier. I, I don't know how much more I can say about the, how much I can say about the Amos and Peaches scenes. I love them. They have a great rapport as actors. This stuff is, you know, basically true to the books. It's great. I just, I love this story of them. Um, and I love Melba's prayer. I was really excited that that came back. Um, that was in the books. And, like, that was something just so, something that I personally identify with the character. Because um, I've often felt like a monster. And this idea and her sort of, like theory of monsterhood uh is very interesting and uh human and vulnerable and i just love this this prayer was the thing that made me love clarissa the character after all the shit she'd done earlier so it was really cool to see that in the film and to see amos wrestling with that same kind of idea because he doesn't he's not afraid and like what does that say about him in contrast to her prayer and her thoughts about herself. Right. Just that they are essentially bad people trying hard to live life as like trying to be, 
to do good things as bad people, um, which is interesting um, that the way that they sort of tackle that. Um, and yeah, like Melba's or Peach's, whatever, uh, mantra that she she has. And a character with three names. Yeah. And I think what a lot of TV or a lot of media, actually, not even TV, it falls into like this sort of like predictable trope is the sort of thing of like villains, like you dehumanize them, even when they have like really good points, like they're still ultimately evil they kind of like are too far gone there's always going to be that flicker of like maybe there's redemption and ultimately they throw it back in you know the heroes or like something's face and so you feel good about their demise and that's why i like clarissa as a character because you at one point in the like you're just like rooting for her to like go down because you know she's a threat and um but when she's on the behemoth then you start to sort of see that you know, questioning, you know, uh, like self doubt of like, I don't, I think I'm bad. And I think I need to, to do something to, to redeem that in some way. And she wants to die like constantly, but then ultimately, you know, is, is denied that. And so it's, it's really cool to see her sort of like embracing this idea of like, this is a terribly flawed person. I have like, I've done so many terrible things, but still wanting to to be better, it, despite like being very clearly like a villain character. So, um, and of course, you know, we oh, folks, we love to see it. We love to see a good bonding story with Amos. Like I'll, I, Amos is one of my favorite characters in the whole like books. So um, I, I really appreciate that. How do you, how do you feel about West Chatham? Because we got to see oh, a boy. lot of West Chatham <laughs> in this episode, folks. I love his little realization at the end of it. I think the best the best acting moments in the show come when actors don't have actual words to work with. And it's when West Chatham like has this like realization he's losing his moral compass a little bit by being mm-hmm. away from the Rossi and the crew there. And he just it's not a lot on his face, but you can see that realization is mm-hmm. like, I gotta get back to them. Because that is my right. North Star, and that's and, what I need. Uh, I think that's like mentioned a lot in the books that he is definitely someone who, like, yeah, there is no, um, I guess he would, what is it? He'd be, what, chaotic neutral? Like, I suppose. Yeah, like, like, he definitely isn't yeah. a bad person, but, you know, it's, as he as he talks about the churn, you, you figure out a way to survive. And so um, trying to navigate being a good person by aligning yourself with people who you believe are good is uh, an interesting, an interesting way to approach it. Um, This idea of like, there's always the chance of backsliding into moral ambiguity. I forgot. I also liked, (laughs) I also liked um, the future of earth is apparently like environmentalist birthright trips. Like when Clarissa (laughs) was like, I'm okay with this. I like the idea of like, I mean, granted, it shouldn't just be the bougie people that do this, but the idea of like going and appreciating the carbon cycle, like that's a really cool idea that maybe in some socialist future we can replicate because that'd be cool to like be like, okay, you're going on a camping trip. You get to go out in nature and like see the science of things like right then and there. Yeah. Um, Like, you know, what if we actually did anything for Earth Day instead of some weird jerk off platitudes? So (laughs) that would be cool. Yeah, I I don't think it was just like the bougie people because she's like, oh, didn't you do this? As though it's like 
a common thing for all school children at some point to go do. See, I read that as for like her, like her social class. Like she thought there was a thing of like everyone does. Mm. And she did not realize that a whole world of existence outside of her thing. But maybe, you know, she also like has been in quote unquote, like harder times. Like she's been the other side of being wealthy mm. uh, for some time now since she like went undercover as it were as Melba. So in theory, she should know Yeah, that. so, anyway. She's not a spoiled rich girl anymore, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, she, she, she did, she was in prison, so I feel like that definitely shows uh, something there. Um, okay, what did you think about the scene where they come across the, the uh, you know, doomsday... The doomsday prepper? Yeah, the doomsday prepper. So, are you asking me about the special effects, or just, like, the way that it was shot, or, like, in general? All, all of it. I mean, I appreciated what I felt was even like as Amos is taking off his clothes, he is moving closer to the guy with the gun. Mm -hmm. Like every time he takes off like an item of clothing, he's like that much further closer to the steps. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like that. Melba, you know, this is all stuff that happens in the book. So I can't like necessarily critique the sort of like storyline of it because I didn't have a problem so much then. Um the special effects are a little bit low budget, but at the same time, like, I can't begrudge that because, it, you know, at the start of this episode, we get to see the remnants of the, like, meteor impact. And there's this, this like, de- uh, devastated winter landscape. And I loved that. Like, that felt, like, very purposeful and very thoughtful. Um, I loved the idea of, like, the UN and disaster relief, like, immediately snapping into place and starting to happen. I can understand if they need to make some monetary decisions here and there to to get to that point yeah the the scene where she attacks him was just like i'm getting real big like 90s like you know <laughs> Buffy the vampire slayer like yeah, yeah like, the shot, like in the whole like the, like that 90s era sort of thing you're just like you know there's like a bunch of other ways you could have shot this that didn't necessarily even need like high special effects but all right you do you i guess i guess felt like a muppet scene there almost. <laughs> Which was really unfortunate. Because I just imagine now like a Clarissa Muppet and she's like waving her arms like like Kermit. <laughs> and the guy just like falls over like a Muppet attacked him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which was unfortunate because I was really riding high on Wes with, or Amos in tiny underwear for a minute there. And I was just like, oh, well, this is this is unfortunate. They finally, like, really leaned into the fact that they're on Amazon Prime. And, like, <laughs> I was noting that there was also uh, a lot of side boob this season compared to earlier <laughs> seasons of the show. Um, and there's a lot of ass crack and just everyone's like, yeah, we're going to we're gonna show, some, uh, show a lot of skin here. No matter the weather or the conditions, uh, we're going to see some, <laughs> some flesh. I think, you know, I appreciated the idea of this, like, prepper... And I I love the moment of, and I, I said this before, you know, like Amos realizing, but even before that, I realized Melba or Clarissa Peaches uh, asks him what did, what was what we did right. And I feel like, again, that's something that doesn't happen in a lot of shows because at the end of the day, they're going to try and justify it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this one was like, nope, this was kind of unearned. Like we did the right things. And we were sort of morally justified in it, but that's only because of the context here. If there wasn't that context of this guy being a nutty prepper, mm-hmm. we this would not have been okay at all. 
but we planned this. Like this was our our approach. I really appreciated that sort of reflection of that character and sort of like drawing attention to what's going on there. Yeah. I, the only thing I had, well, the only other thing I had an issue with aside from the Muppety uh, scene was that the idea that Amos would approach this without a plan, like Amos is good at surviving and this seemed very stupid, (laughs) you know, like I feel like he did or usually does have some kind of, back up there at least like something to duck under or you know like something to to keep yourself alive and i felt like this was like a really weird calculated risk that i i don't i want to see like the math behind it like i need you to show your work like why would why would this happen but i get it they wanted us to be like okay well amos is in mortal danger we need to show you know that Peaches has his back and can defend them both and all that stuff. I get it. I get it. It's just. See, I actually saw it from a different way. I think I saw it as like Amos took this calculated risk because he has to. Because Peaches can't do this. So he's the only one that can. Yeah, that's just true. And so this is like his sort of like not quite self-sacrifice, but he's like, this is a long shot, but this is the best way to get the things I know that we need to survive, which is rest, shelter, um, and restock of supplies. Yeah, that's a good point. Touché. Thank you. I take my uh, rapier and I set it to my side. <laughs> the last piece that we want to uh, touch on this episode that really happens is the scene between Drummer and Marco Inaros. Um First off, I, I love the way that uh, Marco like gives her respect and he's like, your temper precedes you. And I was just like, fuck yeah. Drummer fucking kicks ass. You fucking know it. Marco Inaris is like the leader of the Free Navy and like the de facto king of the OPA. And he still like is like, ooh, okay. Got to watch out for Kamina Drummer. Just watch. Just give her a wide berth, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I appreciated that. Um, so I think I, I also started to create in my head some uh, Belter Creole power rankings for who does it the best. And I think number one is Anderson Dawes, which was played by Jared Harris in seasons one and two. But I think uh, Kara McGee is probably, or Kara G, sorry, is probably number two on that list for me in terms of like the best Belter Creole performers on the show. Mm. Like she just gets it, even when she's speaking English, she just like clips her words like consistently in the right ways. Mm -hmm. And I just... I shout out to Kara G. You're, you do awesome work. You're awesome. I think Naomi does a good job of it too, if only because there is the definite and observable shift with like when she's around other belters versus when she's on the Rossi. And yeah, yeah. that's definitely something I've observed with other like, you know, multi or bilingual people. And it's, a, it's kind of an interesting thing to, to see like on the show too. So I, I'm pretty sure it is definitely a, pointed thing that they're doing um oh yeah yeah for sure uh, i i wanted to know as you mentioned that you talk about the other characters i think how bull never does that even as he's working with belters all the time and i just want to like take the opportunity to needle bull for being an asshole who's like i speak english correctly all the time like he never ever ever tries belter creole at all like it's just straight up i mean like he says it he says as much he's like i'm not really here i don't care about belters with the belts i came out here because you know Fred Johnson asked me to. It's just like, oh man, dude, come on. Like, ugh. anyway, 
some of the behind the scenes stuff um, in this episode. Uh, apparently, Kara G was uh, late, like her third trimester. And so she kept messing with Keon Alexander during these scenes by like bumping him with her belly just to mess with him whenever she could and took the chance to. Amazon has, or the Ty, Frank, and Wes Chatham have been doing an after show. And so apparently, um, I learned from that Keon Alexander and um, Dominique Tipper knew each other for a long time. Like he was actually there when she got the call that she was going to become Naomi Nagata. And so. Um, this has been an interesting sort of experience for them to sort of like play with these characters and do this work together, which I thought was a nice little touch that helps the show. Yeah. Yeah. That is but, pretty interesting. Yeah. Like they have a, an actual history to play these characters who have a history. Uh, speaking of the history, we can dive into the next episode then, which I think, I don't know what your take was. I think we would be way more critical of, at least compared to the previous episode. I liked episode six a lot. Episode seven I liked it, but I also really quibbled with, I think, the weakest points of it. And so these are these are sort of less structured here. But I got to say that the, the the stuff we talked about last time we, you know, record an episode, we talked about sort of like Naomi being a flattened character or like less um, inventive or she doesn't get an opportunity to show how intelligent she is. Mm-hmm. This episode felt a little bit essentializing of her in ways that I really didn't like in terms of like her relationship to uh, Marco and her relationship to uh, Philip. It just feels like they're leaning on this like sort of special relationship of her as a mother mm-hmm. in ways that like it, it just, it doesn't feel truthful to the character. And I think that's what I've been struggling with the most. I mean, we, we've talked about this already over the season of like Naomi Nagata not being not having those opportunities to be smart. We sort of see that at the end of this episode, obviously, when she sort of plans her escape and gets out. I struggle with this episode and just the portrayal of her as this like mother when that's not really a defining aspect of her character in the same way as like other things are. I would have loved more about her talking with Philip about like sort of like his mechanical things. Like you see the little hints of that. I'm quibbling over like very small things, but it's just, it's stuff that takes me out of the situation. And I think makes the family drama feel like a bigger thing as opposed to how does this fit into like the larger things of what are going on in the solar system and the whole, the expanse storyline as it were. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. I still, I mean, I I think I'll probably continue to have this sort of feeling about the way that they're portraying Naomi this season. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's the same thing as, as uh, earlier this season, which is to say like, yeah, she's flattened. She's sort of thrust into this role and they're like, oh, but you know, you should expect to feel this way because you're a mom. Isn't that important to you to be a mom? Don't you feel like bad, like a bad mom? Like, it's just like, yeah, yeah, no. Like, I love the moment where, like, Philip is crying as he hugs her. That, to me, was very real. Mm-hmm. I want the emotion to come from Philip, not necessarily Naomi herself. Like, I want her to, like, feel like a longing. And, like, I just want her to be a little bit more uncomfortable with Philip than she is. It just feels like she's very much like, I'm a nurturer now. And I'm like, but that's not really, would that be how you respond to that situation? I'm not sure. Right. It's like she has this expectation that because 
she's his mom that he should feel a certain way toward her about it or that she should feel a certain way toward him. And it'd be interesting if they explored those. Yeah. Like you said, like it, when it all comes down to it, like she did, like she still has not seen him in like what, 14 years or so. Um, she's done a lot since then. So yeah, I would, I would feel super awkward all the time. Does it matter? Like, you know, um, if I, physically birthed someone i feel like that would just be awkward because you, you don't know them um and you weren't there for their childhood like sin seems to be a much bigger role like a, a a real father figure to philip in this episode compared to uh either naomi or marco yeah he's like the like the granddad right because marco looked up to him he helped marco a lot so i feel like you know you have like the the um him in like this grandfatherly role, which I guess checks out. And, you know, of course, like his the shitty, shitty dad. Um, and I guess you can kind of see more of like the manipulations that and machinations that Marco is using against Philip, um, especially with the scene about like, I want people to know my name. And he's like, oh, you want to know his name? Like how you fucked up? Um, D- is Marco working for you as a character? Um, I mean, because it's kind of not for me. I mean, he's definitely working for me as far as, like, this is the antagonist and he is a charismatic manipulator. I think, like, that is very apparent. Do you think he's that charismatic? I mean, he is. I, did, I, I was reflecting that because, like, I don't know how charismatic he actually is. Like, I love the moments where Marco is... I don't, I don't love them. I think they're interesting it just feels like he is so much of an antagonist. Like you mentioned, you know, at the start of the episode with Clarissa or us recording how, you know, this is a show that like really challenges and nuances its villains. And Marco just feels rather flat as a villain. I mean, you know, like he, he wants glory and that's it. Yeah. I guess, I guess it could be done a little bit better, especially like, like when he's talking about, you know, like the belt staining itself and being out from under like colonialism's boot and stuff like that. And I'm glad that in the previous episode, they sort of brought that to light, which is like, yeah. how are we going to do this? Like we done fucked earth. Like we need that food. Like, and the whole like, no, no, we're going to do it. And, but I think that, I don't know. It's, you're right. It's like, I wouldn't be persuaded. Like I wouldn't think that this is someone who has a, a grand plan. I think this is someone who does not have long-term goals. <laughs> Well, I, and I would have appreciated, I think, that you can draw such an incredible contrast between Marco, and I, I think you can paint him as a villain with his son alone, because his relationship with Phil, Philip is so toxic and so gaslighting, and he just, like, goes back and forth and back and forth with him. Like, like he goes from calling him a complete fuck-up and then saying, I am the, I'm the glory person. Everyone loves me, not you. You don't have anything. And then is like immediately flips him and is like, but you want to, don't you? Like, he feels very satanic and not in an interesting way. Mm. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. But I guess like the show doesn't like it would be boring to watch all of those chapters that I think do <laughs> show like the more nuanced ways of like gaslighting and like abuse and manipulation. Yeah. Because you're right, if they're not so overt, they're not so like dastardly mustache twisting. Um, they're much more subtle, and the book has more time to build that over time with like dialogue. It's true. And showing. We really are compressing two books. Yeah, and 
but and, you know, and it's usually like from Philip's perspective. So you kind of have the slow, like you, you might, you, the reader might be able to pick that out, but um, it's not super obvious to him. Um, you know, as he's experiencing a lot of this, yeah, the whole, like, you know, being one of the first buy-ins to Marco's cult of personality and just how, yeah, just how toxic and, um, uh, I guess how much he's just using Philip for his own means rather than like actually caring about him as a son. And so we, we just don't have the benefit of the books in that regard because like, I mean, it, it would have to be more drawn out. It would have to be longer. We were already having so many back and forth shots from like different places. Like we've got the moon, we've got, um, you know, Amos and Peaches, we've got uh, Alex and Bobby. Like there's just too many things. And I don't think that, Yeah. I think stringing that out while interesting to read is not as interesting to watch constantly cutting. Back. Yeah. So yeah, I think- well, that's fair. I, I just was reflecting on that, like how their relationship like is not working for me. And I think it's not just Naomi, but it's also Marco is difficult to bounce off of. And I don't think it's a fault of the actors either. Like I want to be clear about that. I love Keanu Alexander and he seems like a very fun, he's a fun addition to the expanse. It's just, I want more meat on that bone. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be intent to like really thrust Philip into the spotlight for this season um, compared to say like how he fits into the book as a character. Uh, But I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of working for me. I do like the actor. Um, Oh, I love Philip. Philip's great. Philip is great. I I do. I do find myself like he's definitely a more interesting character in the the TV series than he is in the books. I think so. And that's, that's even without like the, the ability to see inside his head in the way that we do in the books. Like I, I love, what Josiah Chase Owens is doing. Um, and just like when he tries to be hard, like the the scene with him early on, uh, him and Dominique Tipper, and he kind of like snarls at her. Mm-hmm. Like he's like trying to be like a hard man and ugly and he fails at it because he's just, he's a boy. Mm-hmm. I, I love those moments. I, I love, I love what they're doing with this. Like that is great. Yeah. He, and he, he just, he's, a, he's trying and failing to be hard. And that is um, really pitiable. And also sad and moving, and um, I, I love that storyline. Um, There's just so much like needing to prove himself, and definitely like what a teenager would sort of play. Regular teenagers, yeah, yeah. teenagers would play act at being intimidating, which is to say, like, oh, that's cute, um, you know. But uh, unfortunately. Yeah, there's there's still uh, the the added thing with like Marcos and Marcos like trying to talk for him and Naomi saying like let him speak for himself he's his own person and I saw that coming but and not just because I read the books it's just because it would be too uh, predictable and one dimensional if it was just like yeah look how easily she won him over just by being a mom um, which just obviously didn't what did not and was not going to work in any way so. Uh, I'm kind of glad that like we can't like can we just get this over with now like is this done can we be done with this and get on to the rest of like the good parts of what's gonna happen so well and and she literally escapes the thing uh, the Pella um, I did I did like that though and I'm sorry. which part oh the 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 space scene or yeah the space scene because um well, not just the space scene itself but when they talk about you know Naomi's despair right when she first walks away from from philip and how 
awful she felt and felt how like there was no escape, right? That there was only, there was only going to be the downward spiral because of essentially feeling like you've lost to your abuser and the way that they, they painted that and were trying to make it seem like that's maybe what was going to happen toward the end of the episode. Uh, and instead it's like, no, well, no, she's not going to do that because obviously like she has a lot to fight, like worth fighting for. So I'm kind of glad it's like, yes, can we just, can we get her to back to being a badass that we know that she is? Yeah. Um, Cause I would love that. Um, no, I, I did wish. And I think this is again, where the show would have been aided a little bit better by having her be more crafty and nefarious herself. I think this is an area where she would have been aided. The, the character would have been aided by being crafty and nefarious earlier because when the show's setup is like Marco's like space her and then Philip is like I'll space her and everyone else is like space her her running to the airlock feels a little bit like okay well she's doing the thing everyone wanted to have happen so no no great loss there mm-hmm. I guess again it was just sort of I think like paint that, that picture of like losing losing your family again losing your son again and the sort of despair and how that can go like the feeling of helplessness and you know suicidal ideation uh tend to go hand in hand so i liked sins um trying to save her again and that sort of like blowing up in his face right yeah because this is like you you did this like you i appreciated this actor and and the character brent sexton did great great work uh, who seemed like legitimately like distraught that like i you know i did this to you i i'm part of the reason that i did this and she's asking for help and when that's offered you know in front of marcos he's just like turns his back so it's just like yeah man what were you expecting see that's that's where like i would have loved to have more of like and i think she does it a little bit but I just wanted more i want a really strong naomi where she's like fuck you sin like i'm not going to feel guilty about you stealing my son away from me and then me leaving him I was left with no other fucking option because of what you did. Right. You know, like I, I, I want this to be a complete absolution of her guilt. And I think that she gets a little bit, but she still puts on too much herself, which just doesn't ring for me as a, uh, for Naomi's character. Did want to note, I have done extensive Googling about this and we both can have authoritative statements that the science of this is actually quite possible mm-hmm. for her to make this space jump. And, um, as I researched it, I actually discovered that I think a lot of Hollywood movies tell a different story, which is a poor story of how, like, as soon as you step onto space, it's freezing cold and you die and become a popsicle. That is actually not how a vacuum works because there's nothing there to, like, freeze you and make you cold. No, that that's the moon, I believe. I think, if I recall correctly... And, like, you're not actually, like, revealing much because a lot of this data that I have that's presented on is also publicly available data. But I believe EVA suits are rated for negative 233 degrees um, to, yeah, to uh, be able to handle how fucking cold it is on the moon. So, yeah, which, by the way, is very cold. Uh, I don't know much about, like, the typical survival rate in vacuum like there's plenty of of data to suggest that like yeah it it doesn't work quite that way but the book is also or... uh, apparently they accidentally vacuum sealed a scientist in the 60s when they were doing like vacuum experiments 
Yeah. See, so they actually know like what happens to someone in a vacuum because he got stuck yeah. in the vacuum chamber. Yeah. Uh, and managed to survive. Yes. I, I mean, there's a lot that that goes on. Like, there's a lot of other like factors that can affect like cell damage. Well, I was just thinking of like Mission to Mars and like Sunshine, where they like portray someone like being in space. And they come out looking like a popsicle. Yeah. You're like, that's not quite exactly what happens immediately. I would be more concerned about being unprotected and just straight up radiation beyond the Van Allen belts. But, you know, I'm sure that's, you know. It's- they, they mentioned that actually if you <laughs> if you look at Naomi, she got crisped on like one side of her face. Like one side of her face is kind of burned mm-hmm. compared to the other side. So yeah, with- a little bit of a production detail that... I learned so. Yeah, from what I understand, the writers of the books, and presumably also uh, who conveyed that knowledge to some of the writers for the show, did like work with actual like you know aerospace uh, specialists to get as many like factual details as they could to inform you know uh, the science behind it. So that's why to me the expanse to off- also seems like it could fit into a hard sci-fi category because of how they approach not only like biological sciences but also uh the engineering uh sciences behind like some of the ships and stuff like that so and there was some amazing space battles this or an unamazing space battle this episode um i i I don't know if you ever watched Bowser galactica but i don't think anyone does space battles as good as the expanse like firefly get out of here obviously um other places, I think if the expanse continues to finish strongly, it's probably the best like space sci-fi show of the past twenty years. I could easily see that. Yeah. I and it's it's always it's baffling to me that more people don't watch it or like don't know about it. Cause I'm over here like ringing the bell, like, guys, guys, there's this really awesome show. It's like, you know, and people are just like, Oh, you mean the Mandalorian? It's just like, fuck you. No, I don't mean space fantasy. I mean, actual sci-fi, you fucking plebs. Anyway, um, I'm I'm definitely like really arrogant. Like, I've I've been forced to read like some like actual hard sci-fi that like hard. I'm in the middle of like Kim Stanley Robinson's Mars right now, like Red Mars. That's very hard sci-fi. Like some, but a lot of it is just like becomes super boring. Like when it's like super, <laughs> it's just like okay, I I can appreciate the detail here. But for me, as someone who loves both sci-fi and math, this is fucking snoozers, baby. Like, I just... Susanna came to the airlock. The decompression suit lasted three seconds as she felt the uh, airlessness uh, decompress around her. And then she opened out into the vast array of stars, numbering countless millions upon thousands upon hundreds of millions. She had 0.4 seconds to escape the shockwave blast. Well, it was more like like the like the mechanical parts, like the mechanical aspects of space travel. Which is like, oh my god, I just don't fucking care. Like that's just not fun. Um, I mean, for some people, I'm sure it is, and kudos to them. But this is, I think, the be- the closest you can get to actual hard sci-fi that is informed by actual science, uh, and is still imaginative fiction too. Like it's the for me, it's the perfect pairing where it's not like total Star Wars space fantasy, um, but it also isn't, you know really like i've also seen a lot of just boring sci-fi i'm like this isn't interesting and i just don't care uh, <laughs> this has a lot i think more intrigue and 
a better storytelling than like a lot of other science fiction that's out there. So I also just, I mean, it's not really a mystery that I'm very biased. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't like the way that they, like from like the creation to like the Belzer Creole, like we've talked about before, which is informed by like, you know, a- actual expert linguistics, um, you know, how Belters would look is informed by like studies on how microgravity affects like things like bone growth and circulation. Um, and what we already know about like the human body's potential given various circumstances and adaptations, um, you know, to how gravity works and how space travel would work. And I just really appreciate that none of the ships in this series look sleek because like that is also really realistic. You don't need a sleek, you don't need an aerodynamic ship in space. Um, it could just be clunky and awkward as hell who cares you know um because i do love the rossi though she's so pretty it is pretty. i mean like don't get me wrong like the space is like the the spacecraft and the ship design in this is is very interesting and it in and of itself like you know i appreciate the designers between like the difference between like belter ships and you know uh the ships from a planet that is obviously very like military is centered and um you know things like that so but I mean, again, like, so this series to me, like, checks a lot of boxes where I'm not constantly like, like that, like, where I'm not constantly like having to actively suspend disbelief and not roll my eyes, you know, like, I feel like I, yeah, yeah. a lot of times I like, get into it um, with our critiques about the characters like that. Those are the people that were like, mm, would they do this as opposed to like, this science doesn't seem to be quite right. Right. Which I mean, like, no. If I, Why does Ray have the ability to transport things with her force in her mind? That's stupid. Well, then no, that's just it's magic. That's not sci-fi. That's magic, which is fine. I guess anything is sci-fi these days. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um. Uh, okay. We'll talk real quick. We're almost done here. <laughs> um. Super spoilers potentially for the future. Warnings ahead. Did you hear that West Chatham hinted that there th- there might do a miniseries or like movie ish thing? About what? Well, okay, so we're talking about the pacing. Mm-hmm. Next episode, I think we're b- pretty clearly that uh, we're going to see Marco invade the zero space and uh, claim control of the gates. Yes. We are still quite a ways away then from the Laconians coming. Um, if I were to do a miniseries. Because the miniseries are perfectly set up like at books eight and nine. Like you cut the uh, LV storyline out of it mostly. Um, you kind of like crunch it down a little bit, but a good miniseries would be enough. Well, like, uh, two and a half hours, maybe miniseries, I think would imply the characters that we don't already know, or they're just minor characters. I think if they're going to do a miniseries, it would be exploring what, like what's going like basically like the Laconian, um, like a uh, hierarchical structure. And you can do that with, basically taking like some of the chapters from the other books, like from books uh, eight and combining it with strange dogs. Um, I mean, I feel like if you're going to do a miniseries about any of the novellas, strange dogs is the one to do because it shows how similar, but also alien and dangerous, um, you know, the Laconian world is, but from a child's perspective. So, yeah. I would love to see that, especially because of where it goes. And you're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> well, that's deeply upsetting. So in a way that you could show, like I said, like you would be able to show the hierarchical structure, how fucked up they are about like, oh, you fucked up. You're going to the pens. Um, to- 
Well, here's here's my thing. Since West Chatham hinted at that, I'm now thinking the end of season six is going to be the Laconians come and take over, and that's it. Like that thirty year jump mm-hmm. that happens, I think in book eight or nine, that will be the launch off point for the miniseries. Maybe, maybe I don't because like we we basically see like the defeat of Earth. And the Laconians take over, and that's the end of the show. And then you have the miniseries. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know how they would do that in a way that would make this the show feel like it had a level of completion. Because that would, to me, like that's where you cut off when like you get canceled. Um, instead of a show that is, you know, aware of its time limit and is wrapping up ways in a neat way. So like, I don't know how they're going to do that but i think if like them take over earth like we'd all be like what the fuck um you know you would want more but like in a like offended way that you didn't tidy up the series so like there would need to be like some amount of i think tidy like tidier like wrapping up while still being intriguing enough to do a mini series and i think the mini series would definitely be something with like either the time jump or the laconian world now, how they would do it, I don't know. But I feel like going like, okay, we're season six. All right, we ended on this note. And it, it so obviously implies that there's more, but not more that a miniseries could do. You know, like, I just, I feel like that would might be a disservice, but I'm not really sure. So, yeah. Anyways, I was just kind of like thinking about that. And I was like, hopeful for more expanse. And, you know, I, I'm, I think it'd be kind of fun to have old Holden. Like, I love the idea of, like, Holden being a kept animal for the Laconians. Um, and I would love the idea of, like, a, a miniseries that focuses on Teresa Dutarte as, like, the main character. Like, I just love that idea. But that's because I think she's, she's by far one of my favorite characters. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll know what happens within, like, what, this year? Like, uh, book, six, or book nine comes out in five months. So Does it? Yeah. It's June 2021. Oh, what's it called? I'm gonna look it up. Uh, oh, Leviathan Falls. Last I checked, uh, they had not named it yet, so that's cool. Yes, Leviathan Falls is okay of the book, and it doesn't. All right, that's cool. I I didn't realize that it had like a hard date yet. It. I know that they were really good about re- like releasing these books like once a year, once every like 18 months, and then like the last couple of books seemed like it took took a little longer. But I'm I'm okay with that because. You know, I want to savor it. I'm just happy that we, the lucky few, are not going to get fucked over like Game of Thrones fans. Like, yeah. we're we we don't we get the show creators involved all the way to the end. Like, and not just like in a like here's my notes, kids, but like we are the ch- um, we are the chat. Yeah, of, of the multi novel series. <laughs> <laughs> the the Virgin Game of Thrones fans are all sad. Like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Has a terrible season eight and everything else. And where it's like, oh, the show creators have been here the whole time. They finished the book series even before the final season of the show came out. It's yeah. rules. They finished the book series technically before even like the last few books came out because it was already a fully fleshed out world that just needed character development. So it's like, ah, yes. And then there's two of them. There's two authors. So it's not just one author jerking off for like 10 years and then we'll die before <laughs> there's ever any closure which is fine because you know what the expanse is better anyway so who cares just kidding me it's i would still read it i care i think it's yeah like the expanse is still it, better by far i think it is i think it, it doesn't get so indulgent as i think game of thrones does but that's my personal take 
episode eight coming up next week. Uh, like I said earlier on, this should be a two-parter sort of thing with the episode seven. So I'm excited to see how this one pans out. I'm excited to see the invasion of the behemoth and that takeover. That'll be fun. If you are looking for some Belter Creole, a traditional greeting of Belter Creole. Um, if you, let's say you meet someone on the street and you might say, fucking to good and say, it's good to meet you. Oh. Uh, if you want to say like I see I like see someone for very team good, it's good to see you. So as a, those are traditional things, things that Katie might say next time we record um, <laughs> when <laughs> no, we get on this phone call. No, this is this is like a running joke now. Where will Katie ever actually? You can't run in space, Katie. Okay, well. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I think it's a funny joke where it's like, well, can you ever look over the PDF more closely than just browsing it? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, we got to wait for like the, the major like finale plot twist. I'll wait to the final uh, episode to fa- finally bother learning Delta Creole. All uh, right. So we'll be back next week. Katie, uh, I want to give you the honor of reciting your Twitter handle for all those fans out there. Ah, uh, yes. Me, the expert on the expanse, which is at AnimeWeedFart69. And I'm on Twitter at Ape Notorious. Follow the cast at Second Star Cast. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you all next week with more of the Expanse, the Galley, whatever we're calling this. It's fun. <laughs> Oye dang. Oye dang.